podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome to Off The Wall, the podcast where we give listeners a sneak peek into some of the goings-on over AI Pro. AI Pro is the subscriber-only side of Anfield Index, which offers uh, over 30 exclusive podcasts per month on a whole range of subjects from experts uh, regarding Liverpool Football Club. Now, uh, last time out on uh, Off The Wall, we featured several AI Pro shows with extracts uh, from those shows on Naby Keita and some of the stats stuff, some of the coaching stuff and tactics stuff and things like that on Naby Keita. Well, this time... It seems appropriate to give you a whole show, uh, and we're going to give you a whole show of Money Talks, which was uh, a show we recorded a couple of weeks ago when news broke that Liverpool were likely to report uh, world record profits. And uh, for that, we go to our own uh, chartered accountant, and that's Mo Chatra. And uh, since the press release this morning, Mo's come up with a couple of points. So before we get into the show, let's uh, just uh, welcome Mo back to the show, his own show, and uh, ask him a couple of uh, points on this uh, on this news that's come out today. And then we'll, uh, we'll let you listen to the show from a couple of weeks ago. So, firstly, Mo, welcome. How are you? Yes, very good. Thanks, Addy. Um, yeah, excited that the club have decided to release uh, financial accounts so early. But, uh, no, very good results. Very happy to see such healthy numbers. And uh, the immediate thing on the time, and that was one of the points you made straight away, you, you, you've been quite uh, surprised by the time and you were expecting this in a couple of weeks. What, what do you think could be behind that? Yeah, I mean, the club always release their account um, information through their website in the first week of March. So um, with all companies, um, they have a nine-month period um, by which they need to submit their annual accounts to Companies House, and the club take full advantage of that nine-month period. So their accounts are up until the end of May each year, and then they'll release them to Companies House um, at the end of February each year, and then uh, release a statement um, identifying the key information from, the, from those accounts um, normally in the first few days of March. So we were expecting the numbers to be released at the start of March, um, but they released them some three, four weeks early. And uh, <laughs> I found that quite interesting. Um, but I think it partly might be to do with the fact that um, a lot of media outlets did report um, numbers um, in the last few weeks from the club. Um, Deloitte, who put out a, a rich list of the um, top clubs around the world from a finance perspective, um, released these figures as well. Um, so perhaps they felt, well, you know, give, given these numbers are out there already, um, and obviously given that um, the, the, the fan base is a little um, tense, shall we say, with a couple of draws in the last few days, um, let's give them something to be cheery about and release this information early. So that that might be something, or, or or it might be that they've got other other information that they'd like to release um, in in a few weeks' time, and wanted to not have this information um, perhaps uh, dilute the other information they're looking to release. Uh, that that's just me speculating, but it, it's a bit unusual that they do this. Um, they almost like clockwork release this press release at the in the first few days of March. So a bit surprising they've done that. And uh, two contrasting ways that the media have spun this. Uh, I'll use the two main examples. Uh, obviously, Liverpool Football Club themselves, uh, they've gone down a, a transfer route with this. They've uh, they've not gone down the world record profits route, which uh, I know was another one that caught you by surprise in the way that they've done that. But the BBC, Dan Rowan over at the BBC on their, uh, on their headline regarding this, has, have gone down the route of... Uh, of, of the world record profits and uh, they've also reported it as uh, pre-tax profits whereas their their usual is to uh to, to post uh post-tax profits so uh, what what you think's behind uh behind that um yeah so it's just it's it's the other way around so normally they do release pre-tax profits um from clubs when they announce their financial results whereas on this occasion they've actually um headlined it with the post-tax figure which is 106 million whereas the pre-tax figure is 125. So normally when clubs uh, declare what their results are, especially the bigger clubs, um, they'll obviously share the headline figures of the revenue figure and the, and the profits figure. And almost always it's the pre-tax figure that's released, whereas for some reason the BBC decided to release the smaller post-tax profits figure of 106 million on the pre-tax figure of 125 million, which is a sensational figure. It's the highest pre-tax profit figure recorded by any football club around the world ever 
Um, so, so that in itself is a massive accomplishment. Um, not not least to do with the fact that we sold one Felipe Coutinho, um, but nonetheless, it, it's a magnificent um, accomplishment. And um, you know, it shows how far we've gone. And obviously, it will be explained in more detail um, through the rest of the pod that, as you explained, recorded a couple of weeks earlier. Um, but yeah, I just found it interesting that um, you know one of the major media outlets wants to post a lower figure when you know we've got such an amazing uh, pre-tax figure um, in 125 million. But you know that that's neither here nor there. Just a couple of takeaways before you leave. I know we're pushed for time here, but there a couple of things from uh, James Pierce, a Liverpool Echoes, uh, Liverpool FC correspondent on Twitter today. You can read these yourself. It's at James Pierce Echo if you want to. Uh, he's come out with a couple of things I just wanted to get uh, your thoughts on. He says uh, that the profit has already been invested in Klopp's playing squad with the deals in the summer of 2008 for Alisson, Keita, Fabinho and Shaqiri, which aren't covered in this accounting period. That's something obviously you mentioned in the in the podcast that we're about to listen to. Liverpool have repaid the first instalment of the £110 million loan from FSG for the building of the new stand. The balance now stands just below £100 million. The success of the new main stand is highlighted by the fact that matchday revenues have climbed from £62 million to £81 million per year since it was completed. And uh, just the final one, that media revenue up by 66 million to 220 million, commercial up by 17 million to 154 million, and match day up from 7 million to 81 million. There's some sizable jumps. Yes, they are, that's right. Um, I mean, the, the club itself has headlined its own uh, figures with um, an emphasis on investment in the squad and mentioned 190 million as, as a figure. And I don't understand why they've done that, to be honest, because um, the actual transfer outlay on the five players that were brought in in 17-18, Virgil van Dijk in January, and then um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Mo Salah, um, Andrew Robertson, and um, Dominic Solanke, uh, the combined figures for all of those are well beneath 119. Even if you factor in um, wages as well you still don't get to 190 so i'm not quite sure how they've creatively ended up at 190. whatever the real figures are whether it's transfer or transfer plus wages would be impressive enough as it is so a bit misleading that 190 million figure um just felt that you know that that doesn't put a lot of confidence in those that understand numbers when it comes to um the club and the way it kind of um reports things um so that, that's again not not biggie, but you know, just does just um, dent some of the confidence you might have in what the club tells you. Um, but no, some of the analysis provided by um, James Pierce um, you know, shows that it's you know in in a really good place is the club. Um, Sixty six million jump in broadcast revenue, almost entirely down to obviously the Champions League uh, run that we had. Whereas the season before that, um, there was no European football whatsoever. Commercial revenue, there weren't any big deals that kicked in in 17-18, but that was almost all down to um, the uh, replica kits selling in record numbers. Um, but for this current season, 18-19, um, no, we are expecting a jump because of um, the standard charter deal having been renewed from the start of this season. And um, match day revenue is expected um, was higher because we played more games in 17-18 than the previous season. So... Um, we are looking like we should be getting to there or thereabouts, even if we don't proceed beyond Bayern Munich, um, as explained on the main pod, um, as listeners will hear in just a few moments, um, because revenues for Champions League football this season are higher full stop. So even getting to this stage, the you know, um, second round stage, means that our revenues from broadcast will be broadly similar to what they were last season. So that that's a a good sign because it means that um, we will um, have revenues in the same ballpark this season as we had last season, even if we don't proceed any further in to the Champions League. Um, so in terms of meeting to long-term planning, now that's very good. Wow, there we go, folks. So some cutting-edge info from Mo Chatra there on the on those announcements that have come from Liverpool today. And uh, we'll uh, we'll leave it there and we'll go and let you all enjoy the pod that Mo's, that Mo's just mentioned. Uh, we do hope you enjoy it and Mo will be back for more Money Talks very soon. Thank you, Mo. Thanks, Eddie.
Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome to the Money Talks podcast here on AI Pro, the podcast where us mere mortals get the escapism from the real world of our fivers and tenors and instead talking Liverpool FC finances and the numbers turn into those multi-millions and to do that we have our resident money man and anyone who's listened to this show before will have no doubt whatsoever he's worth far more than his weight in gold. Yes, it's Mr Mo Chatra, how are you Mo? I'm really good, thanks Eddie, how are you doing? Yeah, fine. You wintering well uh, in this uh, in this post or pre Brexit climate? <laughs> well, a bit like Brexit, uh, the weather can't make its mind up. Um, so, yeah, it was freezing cold earlier here, and there now it's glorious sunshine. Um, so, yeah, I expect um, a snowstorm within a couple of hours. Away. <laughs> Well, let's hope not. Let's hope the snow can abate for just a little bit longer because we've had quite a mild winter up here in Scotland so far. So I'm quite happy with that. It reminds me of being down in your part of the world as a youngster where I used to enjoy my winters a bit more than the, the bit of cold that I experienced north of the wall. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's certainly been a, a better one nationwide um, compared to a year ago when, uh, you know, for those listeners who, who might be from um, outside of the UK, um, it was an absolutely horrible winter by our standards, wasn't it, Eddie? It yeah, was just... we had this beast from the east. The whole, I think there were satellite images that showed the whole of the UK completely white, which uh, it reminded me of looking at Greenland on a map as a kid. So it was, uh, I don't think I'd ever seen that before. And let's hope that we don't have any of that, although uh, January, February, March do tend to be the ones that can... Uh, can catch us off guard in that respect so let's hope not but we're here to talk about money as we always are when uh when mo and i get together and uh the uh reason for this is that it's almost a podcast on demand there wasn't one planned at the start of this week i know you've got a, a couple of things that you're working on doing your research and putting uh facts and figures together in the background for the subscribers but we, we've got some calls on twitter and we've got some calls on discord and and other platforms anfield indirects are on and it was a uh, a call to ask for a podcast from you and the reason that the listeners want to hear from you is because there's been some reports emanating this week that Liverpool are uh, about to smash some records uh, on their on their profits uh, for the 2017-18 season obviously the one last season where the uh, the Champions League final was uh, was the culmination of the year if you like and we don't normally get these sort of reports normally you when you come and talk numbers like this it's because the club's just published its accounts which isn't due for a while yet so uh the headlines are this world world record profit. Now, it's been reported in some quarters it's £100 million, in other quarters it's €100 million. Euros. For anyone that's following uh, the Brexit shenanigans, you'll realise that there is a, a vast difference in those two numbers. So uh, Mo will bring us into the picture on that. But this is a pretty impressive turnaround, Mo, for the club that was going into administration only uh, around eight years ago. So so what's going on? What what, what clarity can you give us on these reports? and uh, And why are we seeing these sort of numbers? Okay, so um, back in around March or April of last year, towards the tail end of uh, the 17-18 season, um, when I first started doing these pods, um, I was talking to, it was either you or Gags at the time, and um, speculating that we were on course for a turnover of in the region of £450 million. Pounds. Now, just um, shortly before that, in the first week of March 2018, uh, Liverpool Football Club released their accounts for the previous season, 16-17, which showed that revenue was 364 million. Um, so I was speculating there would be a massive increase to up to 450 million because in 16-17 we had no European football, whereas in 17-18 we at that point were looking good for reaching at least the semi-finals, if not the final itself. And obviously, we did get to the final. Um, and on top of that, um, we had the 125-year anniversary celebrations and club merchandise-wise um, tried to make the most of that as well. Um, so all of that um, considered in the round suggested that we were on course to um, generate a revenue of about £450 million. And that was a number that I was floating back then. Um, and then this past week, as you mentioned, um, reports have come out that that, that is the figure that um, Liverpool Football Club is expected to announce when it releases its accounts um, in the first week of March. So that is, you know, fantastic news for the club and, um, you know, really shows the turnaround. And, you know, you're quite right to point out that the club was on the verge of administration 
um, in October 20, September, October 2010, when obviously there were um, significant loans owed to RBS by then owners Hicks and Gillette. And um, you know, it was a very worrying time for the club. And obviously FSG then um, took over, picked up the pieces of what was Liverpool Football Club. Um, at that point, um, we were into the 10-11 season and our revenue for that season was only about £161 million. So to go from that number to £450 million in only um, the space of seven financial years is frankly quite incredible. And it's a testament to um, the you know careful work done by the owners and um, other people at the club as well because you know, there were those of us, and you know, I have to admit, I, I was one of them who were demanding, you know, a lot, uh, a lot of things sooner than they actually transpired. And you know, they were looking at this more longer term and said, "Look, you know, we've got to do this right. Let us just take our time to do it properly, and everything will come right." And you know, that certainly appears to be the case. And as we know, money is such an important factor in in football. It's not. It's not the be all and end all, as, as you know, we've seen with Manchester United, they've been spending like money's going out of fashion. And yet, you know, that that's not exactly brought them a glut of um, Premier League trophies. So, you know, it, it's about how you use that money. And the reassuring thing is, is that the people that are there at the club to spend that money certainly seem to be switched on and um, have a very coherent, cohesive strategy. And the evidence is certainly there that... Um, their recruitment strategy when it comes to transfers is arguably second to none in the Premier League. So overall, it, it you know is is very encouraging news that's come out. Um, I mean, in terms of the profit, I think it does appear to be 100 million pounds plus. Um, you know, it's worth noting Leicester City when they released their accounts for the 16-17 financial year, um, which was a season during which they competed in the Champions League and got to the quarterfinals. Um, announced a profit of £92.5 million, which does um, amount to just over €100 million at that time. So I believe we're on for profit in excess of that. um, And that's really encouraging. For sure. Uh, What what would be the factors then uh, as a result of this? How has this come to be that Liverpool are going to be looking to report a profit of uh, in excess of £100 I mean, obviously you mentioned the Champions League. I assume uh, from a couple of reports I've read that that'll have uh, generated a fair wedge for the club. And obviously there was uh, (laughs) at least one notable big sale uh, in in, in that period as well. That's right. So um, in 16-17... Um, the club announced a profit of just under £40 million. So it was £39 million of profit, uh, which is very, very good. Um, but that was based on a turnover of £364 million. Now, um, for those that have listened to previous Money Talks pods, um, turnover can be broken down into three key revenue streams. Um, firstly, broadcast revenue. So that's largely money from um, uh, the Premier League for deals with Sky and BT Sports, and also from UEFA for the Champions League, as was the case for 17-18. The second revenue stream is match day income, which is largely uh, money from ticket sales, um, but also from sales of um, food and drink um, on match days as well. And for 16-17, that was £74 million, um, though I expect that to have been um, about 84, 85 million for 17, 18, because I, I think we played four extra home games in 17, 18 compared to 16, 17. And the third revenue stream is commercial revenue, um, which is sponsorship deals. Um, it's money from retail, from licensing, merchandising. Um, and, and the club made 136 million in 16, 17. Though we didn't have any new sponsorship deals, well, significant sponsorship deals change or new ones commence in 1718, um, as I mentioned earlier, we did um, put on sale the fantastic um, new home kit marking the 125-year anniversary of the formation of the club and various other merchandise as well. Um, So the 136 I'd expected to have increased to over 150. So those three revenue streams, I believe, alone um, will have generated the club approximately 450 million. 
However, as you um, alluded to, um, we did have the sale of Juan Felipe Coutinho. Now, the way in which um, his transfer fee will be shown in the accounts is as profit on disposal of players' registrations. Now, in our accounts, um, believe it or not, Felipe Coutinho would have been shown as worth zero pounds in our accounts on the balance sheet. Now, the reason for that is that when a player is signed, um, that transfer fee is then um, amortised over the period of the contract. Now, by the time um, Felipe Coutinho signed for Liverpool, um, he came in for eight and a half million. By the time he left, um, that transfer fee would have been um, essentially wiped out from our balance sheet to uh, exactly zero pounds. So his entire transfer fee that is guaranteed um, will therefore be shown as profit on disposal of players' registrations. Um, now, in terms of other player sales for uh, 1718, there wasn't a great deal. Um, it was largely Felipe Coutinho. Um, so that alone is, I believe, going to be shown as likely uh, around 106, 108 million, because as you're aware, the, um, the 140 plus million figure that was floated at the time of the sale about a year ago, um, there were a fair chunk of add-ons that were included in that, which we were told were realistic add-ons based on things like appearances and winning um, things like La Liga and stuff like that. Um, but nonetheless, um, his transfer fee will be shown in its um, full guaranteed value um, as a profit, even though, um, as mentioned on this pod um, by Daniel G, uh, when we've had him on, um, transfer fees are typically paid over several instalments. So the likelihood is that during 1718, we didn't actually receive more than, say, 25, 30, 35 million pounds of that fee. Um, but we do know that that will be coming in. So there is a slight difference between the money that comes in and the way that we record it on um, our balance sheet, uh, sorry, within our profit and loss account. Just one thing on the uh, on the uh, asset value. You said that Felipe Coutinho, uh, the eight million that was paid to Inter Milan for him, that would have been zeroed on the balance sheet. Is that is that like for someone like me that's involved in running a business? Is, is that just working on asset depreciation? Is that how that that's calculated? That basically it's an asset in the business at eight million at one point, and over a period of time that just reduces to zero via depreciation, or is there another mechanism for for that getting to zero? Um, that's that's right. It is based on depreciation of. Um, uh, of the asset and um you know it's typically over the duration of the contract so if he signed initially for a four-year contract back in 20, january 2013 then by january 2017 um his um, book value would have reduced to zero and it wouldn't then have increased even though obviously he did resign um at least a couple of deals between his original um, arrival at the club in January 2013 and his departure because I think his most recent contract um, renewal was around um, the spring of 2017 I think it was less than a year before he eventually left us um, but that doesn't change his book value his, his book value remains at zero so therefore his entire um, uh, guaranteed sales figure that we um, brought in from Barcelona would be shown as pure profit. So um, that is the key reason why we are looking at um, a very significant profit, which, um, as reports have suggested, are likely to be in excess of um, £100 million. Um, also worth noting that when it comes to the way that the accounts are presented, obviously we've just talked about revenue, but we have expenses as well. And for the 16-17 season, um, our um total expenses were approximately 357 million pounds so that was 37 million pounds which is classed as cost of sales um, and that's things like the running costs and maintenance of um, assets like Anfield and Melwood and Kirby um, you know whether it's catering for players for staff um, you know, business rates, all sorts of um, costs um, to run the business of Liverpool Football Club. 
um, at £37 million. And then they have what is called as administrative expenses, which last season was £320 million, um, of which um, £208 million uh, was comprised of um, player um, and staff um, wages and salaries. So that is a figure that I'm expecting to increase um, to approximately 240 million in the next um, set of accounts, um, because during 1718 um, we had players come in for very large salaries, notably Virgil Van Dijk on reported 180,000 pound a week, um, but we also had um, some contract renewals as well. Um, so, so that figure is expected to have risen, um, but nonetheless, even with that increase in expenditure, um, the the revenue from those three main rev, uh, turnover, uh, sorry, the turnover from the three main revenue streams, plus that accounting profit for the sale of Felipe Coutinho, amongst other players, means that um, our accounts will be in their best ever shape. And as also reported, um, we'll be looking better than any Premier League club's accounts um, in the history of the Premier League and indeed in English football history. Quite staggering, really, when you compare that to the previous uh, Money Matters, uh, Money Talks uh, with Nina, where uh, you were mentioning Man City and their financial irregularities and things like that. It's, I mean, Liverpool getting it right on the pitch and off it, it seems. Now, I was told a line when I got into business many, many years ago that was a turnover for show, profit for dough. And uh, obviously, the one caveat to that is when you declare a big profit, you do it. You kind of have the uh, the slap in the face of corporation tax uh, <laughs> coming right back to bite you, where you just make that profit. Now, creatively, a lot of clubs would probably like to be in debt for some of those reasons, or like not to show a profit. Uh, obviously, if you're thinking of selling the club or you're thinking of seeking investors, then uh, a nice profit is good for shareholders. So, uh, w- you mentioned expenditure. Obviously, increasing expenditure is a way to reduce those profits. But do you think there's a reason, or a creative reason, or an accounting reason why Liverpool will have uh, will have wanted to show this hundred million uh, or more in profit on their accounts, or is it just that Liverpool is just in the de- in the business of complete transparency and not? I mean, in big business, we hear about all the time the likes of the Starbucks examples, eBay, Google with offshore tax havens and things like that. Uh, what is there a reason? Do you think Liverpool want to show this uh, this this hundred million profit and under? Underlying reason that none of us. Yeah, I know. I'm. I know. I'm speculating here, but any reason why you think they would want to show a profit like that? Because obviously, you do have a, a little bit of control over what sort of profit that you uh, you decide to show. Um, I think there could be several reasons. So um, one of those is um, to increase the value of the club. Um, obviously, you've got the likes of Forbes and various other um, companies that look at the value of. Um, large companies and large sports franchises and you know some people who are listening might not like to hear Liverpool referred to as a sports franchise but that's the way that the likes of Forbes refer to football um, teams in this country and um, you know it, Liverpool Football Club is now one of the strongest brands um, in world football and um, so announcing a world record profit um, can only help that um, valuation of the club which already um based on the latest reports was starting to exceed um two billion pounds so that is one factor the other factor is um something that i discussed with adam crafton of the daily mail um a few months ago which was around speculation well not speculation actual information that he had received it was leaked information um, that he was privy to um, which seemed to show that um, the owners of Liverpool Football Club, um, for the right price, were willing to sell the club. So even though, obviously, publicly they never admit to being open to selling the club, the, the official line is always um, we're open to a minority stake being sold for investment. Um, you know, These people did buy the club as an investment vehicle um, back in 2010. And at some point, they might decide, okay, um, it's time to cash in. Um, you know, the way that they are running the club, you know, I think everyone is generally happy with the way that things are going under their stewardship. So nobody's really clamoring for them to be removed. Even the hardcore FSG out um, brigade um, or recent years have fallen completely silent. So though we're not hearing any of that, who's to say that um, privately, um, they aren't considering 
um, selling the club for the right money, whether it's, you know, two and a half billion dollars, three billion dollars. It might be more than that. Um, and also, um, to an extent, there has to be some transparency as well, because um, the turnover is the turnover. You know, that that's information that um, in the case of the Premier League and UEFA with broadcast revenue um, is figures that they declare themselves. Um, so, you know, it'd be hard to disguise it in any other way. Um, and, and the only way, I mean, there are obviously ways to be creative, um, but there's only so much that you can do. Um, and even in the 1617 accounts, there was about 43 million pound of expenses that was actually undeclared. Now, who knows where that money went? Um, but, um, you know, th- th- as I say, there's only so much um, that they can do in terms of being creative. And, and the bottom line is, is the club has actually paid very, very little tax um, during the time of FSG. Um, they didn't um, pay any tax, as far as I can recall, um, in 1617 and have paid very little in the years before that. So you could argue that, you know, it's about time they get <laughs> a fair chunk. Um, but, um, you know, part, part of it, you know, have to, you have to bear in mind is accounting profit, as I mentioned the full transfer fee for Felipe Coutinho uh, will be shown in the accounts, even though the actual money we would have received from Barcelona during the financial year would be significantly less because um, that fee will be staggered over several years. So the actual tax will be based more on the actual money that is physically, well, uh, actually is coming in and out of the club. Uh, yeah, actually in the bank account rather than a, a physical transaction has taken place, and that's where the tax will uh, will w- will take place rather than uh, rather than just what shows in a report or shows on a balance sheet. Quite, yeah. So uh, let's get on to the profit then. Uh, we're saying 100 million in profit now. Obviously, uh, we're saying that these guys at FSG are investors and uh, they're very shrewd uh, investors at that. So uh, where do you expect them to uh, deploy some of this profit then and, and, and reinvest, if you like? Are we going to see uh, more, more, more dips into the transfer market? I mean, that's one big sea change, obviously. The likes of Virgil van Dijk and Alisson, Nabi Keita, Fabinho, they're all mega bucks deals that, uh, that kind of can, you can use some of that profit towards them or they, will it go towards the Anfield Road? expansion perhaps obviously you mentioned Kirby and the Millwood's going to cease at some point the work's underway for the new training ground which is going to team the academy up with the uh with the first team uh are we going to see money spent on that or is this just going to go to general running costs or perhaps some other specific area I've not mentioned there so that profit the accounting profit um obviously a decent chunk of it will still be actual um money that's in the bank and um I'd like to see um, a fair chunk of that made available for the um, activities that we'll like Michael Edwards and Jurgen Klopp to be involved in over the summer um, in bringing in um, additional players. We obviously know that uh, for several reasons, um, a bunch of players will move on in the summer. um, And it's all about seeing that we consolidate our success and strengthen and have an even more competitive squad that can genuinely compete on all four fronts um, next season and beyond in the way that perhaps Manchester City currently can. Um, I also, though, expect that the club will look to um, use some of this money um, towards Anfield Road End expansion. It's something that they've been talking about for several years now. Um, They started to make a fair amount of noise about it um, last calendar year in 2018. And... the indications are that um, there will be something um, emerging in the next several months about that expansion. I don't expect them to start work on it this calendar year, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if come um, the uh, off season, you know, May, June, July of uh, 2020, that that is when work uh, officially commences. Now, before we get to that point, a planning application will need to be submitted um, for that expansion, because all the indications are that they want to do something with that stand over and above what they originally planned in their, or certainly stated in their planning application from 2015, when they received outline permission for an expansion of Anfield Road End of an increase of 4,800 seats. Um, the information I have is that they want to expand by more than that and to take the capacity to over 60,000. So that could be an expansion of um, 
six, six and a half, seven, eight thousand seats extra, uh, which is a massive expansion. And that stand will be every bit as imposing as the main stand. So can you imagine that? Yeah, so that um, takes it that takes it bigger than the cop at the other end, for example. And uh, it would then have to eat in the, obviously I've seen the original plans, but you're you're kind of speculating there might be new plans. Uh, we do know now that there's nothing behind that stand which there was in the uh, obviously there is a road that has to be uh, logistically catered for, but in terms of the properties behind it, they're all gone now and uh, literally it's right back to the boundaries of Stanley Park that seem to be the footprint that may be available. So what you're saying there does have some scope and the fact that Liverpool could build something of a monster stand and perhaps do it in a, a similar way to they did with the main stand where it doesn't affect match day revenues and uh, and capacity at match days if they did one of these sort of steel structures behind again. Is that the sort of thing you envisage? Um, that's right, though, because the Anfield Road end is uh, a lot smaller than the old main stand used to be. Um, the expectation is that the, the stand might need to... Um, almost entirely be closed during the works, unlike the main stand expansion, where we were able to keep the old stand open and operational um, throughout the works phase. And obviously it was only at the end of the, um, fifth, I think it was a 15, 16 season, was it, that um, we um, then closed off the entire stand. And then by the start of the 16, 17 season, I think it was Leicester at home when the new stand was formally opened and uh, that was about September of 17, so September 16 rather. So I think that there will be some approach in that way and um, the work will begin from behind the stand. And even in the original plans from 2015, the suggestion was, was that um, the Anfield Road end will be built over with an expanded stand and um, they might even go into the fan zone. So for those that um, go to Anfield, um, you will be aware that on the other side of the Anfield Road End um, that runs at the back of the Anfield Road End stand, um, there is that fan zone. So this new stand could even um, impinge into that area as well. Um, but the likelihood is that it will be a very, very uh, enormous stand that's probably going to be the same height as the um, main stand. And, you know, that that will then make a very, very imposing ground for any opposition team to come into. And as we know, um, since the um, expansion of the main stand, um, you know, our home record has been quite incredible. And I'm sure that the atmosphere and the uh, um, just the intimidation factor that comes with that very, very uh, large stand um, is a contributing factor into that. But, yeah, in answer to the question, um yeah, I'd like to think that there's going to be a bit of expenditure on Anfield Road End and into the transfer market because we do need to bolster the squad. And I mean, the good news is that the work on the um, Kirby re redevelopment um, started several months ago. Um, so that work is now well underway. And, you know, th there might be intentions to use a bit of that money towards that as well. Um, but th the point is that, um, you know, we we've got some very shrewd, smart people that are in charge of our finances and, um, they, they seem to really be quite switched on and I've got no doubt that they'll use the money um, very sensibly. Now let's talk about where more money might be coming in then and another area uh, about club finance which you've uh, <laughs> generated so much interest uh, on social media and you've spoken quite eloquently about in the past. Uh, friend of Money Talks, uh, sports finance writer Alex Miller broke the news earlier this month that when the current kit deal ends at the end of next season the club is looking to secure a Premier League record deal so uh, we're talking more records and uh, this is something that you've uh, been involved in multiple threads on Twitter. They're always fascinating. People can go back and look at those if if they wish but uh, I, I love the I love the term of phrase that the club is looking to secure a Premier League record deal it's just like it's almost expected now that they will I mean this is really shooting uh, shooting above the old uh, the old lines where the club used to be on such things where we really lagged behind the uh, the juggernaut that was Manchester United for one and uh, give us the latest on that deal if you can I, th I saw some more news I think Peter Moore the uh, Liverpool CEO announced some stuff in the media this week about that and uh, what's the latest you can tell us on this kit deal so, I mean, Alex confirmed earlier this month that um, the deal will definitely end in um, at the end of the 1920 season. So the season after next is when the deal ends. And um, the reports that have come out from an interview that Chief Exec P. 
Peter Moore gave um, to Middle East news source this week is that, um, you know, we are open to negotiations when the deal ends. But I believe that actually discussions with other potential um, kit manufacturers are already underway. Um, now, what I've seen from other deals is that they are announced quite some time in advance. So I wouldn't be surprised if early into the new season, 1920, and possibly as soon as September, October, um, we see an announcement of the next kit deal. Now, it, it, it's not a major thing in terms of affecting current sales because we know that the shirts change every single year anyway. So it's not as a, a case of, well, let's not buy the shirt this season because a new one will be out next season because a new one is out every season anyway. Um, but um, my understanding is, is that it's now more likely that we will go with another company. Um, and the way things are looking, um, it appears that Nike could be that company. And the reason for that is um, Adidas have um, now got a number of very big deals here in England and they've got several other very big deals um, on the continent. Whereas Nike um, have, you know, ended one or two deals. Um, so there is that capacity for them um, to take on one of the big clubs in the Premier League. And obviously there is that uh, American link, obviously Nike being an American company and our owners being um, from Boston. Um, there is that synergy as well. And, you know, the, the club is bullish in wanting to secure a Premier League record deal. And, you know, for those that have listened to these Money Talks pods, you'll be aware that one of the the few aspects of the club that I have been critical of um, over the last um, six to nine months has been its commercial department because I thought it needed to be a bit more bold in trying to strike deals in the way that Manchester United aggressively tried to achieve. And um, it appears that that's certainly the plan with this kit deal. And I'm glad that they're targeting the Man United at a figure of 75 million rather than um, the 60 million that is seen by um, Chelsea and Arsenal in terms of the deals that they struck. So that that's really good. And I think that based on our form this season, and especially if we go on to win um, the Premier League and or the Champions League, that um, it really strengthens our hand in negotiations. And, you know, the, the success that we are building certainly appears to be um, sustainable. And we're building something that will last for quite some time. As opposed to what we saw in the past, where in seasons like 0102 and 0809 and 13, 14, um, the, the seasons, the successes that we had, of, well, if you can call it that, of coming in second place, almost seemed like we were punching above our weight. Whereas there is a, dick, a distinct difference now. It feels like we are where we're supposed to be. We have the players, we have the squad, we have the finances to compete with anyone in the league. And I think that's what is so helpful in negotiating such a great deal for us. So um, I'm, I'm very confident that negotiations are already underway with a number of parties. Um, but I would suspect that the 75 to 80 million pounds that the club are looking to achieve might just be a bit too high for New Balance because um, they are a company that is significantly smaller than um, Nike and Adidas and you know they don't spend huge amounts of money in kit manufacturer deals not only in football but in other sports as well um, even though even if they retained you know I'd still be completely fine with that as well because um, you know just um, in terms of personal taste I, I think that their kits have been quite nice um, quite attractive on uh, by and large over the last several seasons and um, if they remain for a number of more years then, you know, for those fans that like um, kit designs are keen into into that kind of thing, you know, I, I don't think they'll be objecting to them carrying on. But, um, you know, I'm more concerned about who pays us the most. And if that is Nike, um, then, then so be it. And the only key thing for me would be that um, the club does retain control over um, licensing, retail, merchandise, things like that, which um, Manchester United signed away. Uh, when they signed with Nike quite some years ago 
and they only regain these things back when they sign the deal with Adidas. So my understanding is that um, in more recent times, Nike don't um, impose that control as a requirement when doing deals with um, kit manuf- uh, with, with uh, football clubs. So there is the potential, therefore, that we can still retain control of these things and just have a pure kit deal uh, with whoever it is. So, again, it's all looking very promising, though. I think we might not hear anything about this until um, early into the new season. Yeah, as you say, probably discussions going on, uh, certainly with the big players, uh, Nike, Adidas, probably Puma as well, who are involved with the uh, the top six clubs. Uh, obviously, Nike, you mentioned there, they're still, uh, I think, involved with Man City, Chelsea and Spurs, previously having been involved with both Man United and Arsenal. So I think we're the only one of the big six, if you like, not to have... Uh, have worn uh, Nike's brand on our on our shirts before, so that would be uh, that would be quite an interesting one. And obviously, uh, th- these companies all like their monopolies, but we don't see Man United changing anytime soon from that record deal they got with Adidas. And uh, I think uh, Arsenal are well in with Puma just now as well. So we are the uh, we are the main outliers. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, just a couple of um, changes. Sorry. Um, so Arsenal are moving over to um, Adidas at the start of next season. So their deal is coming to an end. And Puma are moving to Manchester City. So um, Nike will no longer sponsor, um, sorry, provide the kit for Manchester City um, after this season. So there is that gap opening up for them. So they will only be um, sitting with Chelsea and Spurs um, and Puma are moving over to Man City. So there's a bit of a change going on. Yeah, about musical chairs going on there, eh? where they were kind of moving around. Yeah, uh, we've got to uh, look at the financial outlook for for this season then, and how it's shaping up. Obviously, we've been talking so far about uh, seventeen eighteen, but we're uh, kind of touching on some of the things for the future there, and what we, what what we may need to expect uh, in the coming years. That you obviously made a, a prediction last season, and uh, do you expect a big profit to be as as big a profit as this to be respect reported for season seventeen eighteen? And what are you expecting for eighteen nineteen? Obviously, we we did talk about the, uh, the the date that the accounts are published does impact things because it's usually historic information that we're dealing with. Obviously, you mentioned as well uh, the new contracts for several players as well as those big signings. Uh, we've literally signed new contracts with almost everyone. Uh, everyone in our first team now and uh, we've obviously had the loaning out and selling of some players as well that comes into it plus there's talk of the uh, this planning application that's been granted for concerts to take place at Anfield during the summer month uh, take that Bon Jovi Pink I believe are all signed up for uh, deals tickets available now for those uh, how are they going to impact the finances for the coming year and of course that uh, dreaded question that will no doubt be a podcast on itself at some stage and the impact of brexit if it was a no deal if it's going to be a delayed deal if there's i mean we don't want to get into the politics of it but what impact do you expect that to have on contracts on movement of players on transfer fees themselves and you mentioned their barcelona the barcelona deal if the pound will will that have all been tied to currency conversions between the pound and the euro the money that we're owed could could we suffer as a result of uh, of brexit or could we could we benefit as a result of brexit on on, on that Okay, so um, yeah, I mean, in terms of this season, um, it appears that we're on target for a revenue figure broadly similar to what we're expected to have made for seventeen eighteen. So it's shaping up to be another season in the region of four hundred and fifty million. So if we, for example, don't reach um, the latter stages of Champions League and possibly even get knocked out of the competition as early as. Um, the round of 16 against Bayern Munich, um, our revenue from the tournament it won't be significantly down. It will obviously be down um, getting to the round of 16 compared to getting to the final. But um, during this season, our champ- Champions League money for English and well British clubs um, has notably increased. Um, so that is one benefit. The other benefit is that into the Champions League entered only four English clubs this season whereas there were only five last season. Um, so those two things alone mean that even if we were knocked out worst-case scenario um, by buy-in in the next round, um, our revenues are still likely to be, just from that competition alone, somewhere between 50 and £60 million. Pounds. Um, however, um, commercially, we've struck several new deals this season, and all the indications are that our um merchandise um our shirts 
etc continuing to sell extremely well um, so our commercial revenue shouldn't be all that dissimilar and match day revenue um, will probably be fairly close to the figures that we achieved for 1718 so there might be the possibility the numbers might be slightly down on this on 1718 possibly 435440 um but you know if we certainly make the latter stage of the champions league semi final or even the final again um then if anything the number could be slightly in excess you know 460 to 470 so um that is really really good that's really good because what we've seen is um likes of Arsenal and Chelsea who for a number of years had been generating greater revenues than us um for a second consecutive season generating less than us so we'll solidify ourselves as the number three in terms of revenue but that comes with a caveat knowing um what we know about Manchester City's um quite murky finances so that that's that now in terms of um some of those points that you raised so um yeah I mean clearly the cost side of things we we, we can expect to see a further increase so as we know uh, we've signed a number of players a number of key players to new contracts over the last several months and you know that that's very very good for our longer term um but obviously um cost wise will mean that our wage bill will undoubtedly um increase and quite uh, notably so so whilst i speculate that our wage bill for last season um was perhaps in the region of 240 million um for this season it could be anywhere from 250 to 260 so so that is quite a sizable increase um when it comes to um factors such as brexit well as you say that could be a, a pod in itself <laughs> and um you know I'd perhaps quite like to do a pod with um daniel g who's very clued up on these matters for quite an expert view um but you know one of the points you just made about um whether that brexit um could impact on transfer incomings from uh, the you know the barcelona deal um yes it potentially can because I suspect that the deal, the contract was signed based on euros. And if it was based on um, specific figures, um, then those figures are subject to change, change depending on um, currency fluctuations. So if um, the pound weakens against the euro um, over the next few months, um, maybe next several years, um, then we'll potentially make more, or, sorry, less from that deal than we otherwise would have. Um, so there is that immediate impact. Then there is also the potential impact on numbers of homegrown players. There had been speculation a couple of months ago that um, as a result of Brexit, the club, sorry, the Premier League rather, and the Football League might require um, an increased proportion of homegrown players um, to be part of um, squads that are competing in these uh, leagues. And if that's the case, then that can certainly have an impact on Liverpool, as indeed it would for all of the other big six clubs, because we've got so many players that are not classed as homegrown. Um, and even with other considerations as well, such as um, international broadcast um, revenues, which I know that you've uh, done a podcast on um, last year, you know, those are also revenue streams that can potentially be impacted by Brexit as well. So there are multiple um, impacts which um, could be felt, but it's perhaps worth um, saving that for a, a pod to um, just delve into that in a bit more detail, because it is quite an interesting one. Um, it'd be interesting to see how the whole Brexit situation pans out. It's obviously very uncertain at this stage. So once we or if we get a bit more clarity, <laughs> it's the big word there, Mo. It really is. Then, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if we do, then uh, yeah, it would certainly be worth covering it a bit more meaningfully. Um, and in terms of um, the uh, income streams that we can generate from non-footballing activities, as you noted, uh, we did get a, a conditional planning approval of sorts um, for concerts and. Um, you know, there are some that are coming up and um, it'd be interesting to see how they play out. They will obviously generate a bit more money for the club as well um, through um, hiring out Anfield. 
And um, I, I wouldn't expect it to be significant amounts of money, but you know, if it's um, an extra one or two million, um, then that can still make a difference. And um, no, that that that's good. It shows that the club is trying to laterally think about ways to make money. Um, and it's important to do that because, you know, as as you talked about um, with an expert on um, TV rights deals last year, um, the domestic rights fees have flatlined. Um, from the previous deal to the current to the one that will come into effect and um, you know it could be that broadcast revenue from overseas um, continues to see an increase though as you know um, the way that the broadcast revenue from overseas is split is largely even across the 20 Premier League clubs Um, as unfair as that is what it means is that a club like um, Huddersfield get just as much um, rights fees as a Liverpool or a Manchester United based on the current deal. Um, so ho- hopefully that will change. Um, but if that source of revenue continues to see decent increases, whereas domestic rights fees don't, um, then it means that overall um, the gap in revenue from broadcast um, monies um, between the top clubs and the smaller clubs will uh, narrow which, you know, for those fans of those smaller clubs, might, they might think, well, actually, that's a really good thing because it makes the league more competitive. <laughs> but selfishly, um, if you're a Liverpool fan or a United fan or one of the other big six clubs, you want to see their, that gap to continue to exist. Um, but nonetheless, it's good for the club to see um, if there are other ways to make money. And um, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, commercially they are um, thinking outside of the box in that respect. Well, that kind of uh, brings us to an end of our uh, agenda and some of the things that you outlined that we should speak about today. So uh, so thanks for all that. But it would be a bordering on gross negligence of me if I didn't mention that we're in a uh, transfer window. And uh, obviously, you've already done the transfer committee podcast uh, with Gags, uh, Dan Rhodes and Dave Hendrick, which is an excellent listen. Do go back and listen to it, folks. It's still very relevant. So uh, it's kind of a little bit of fun that the guys have where they take on the roles of uh, scouts, manager and Michael Edwards and such. So go and have a listen to that if you haven't already but uh it looks like our business is going to be uh summer uh summer uh, 19 is uh is when when liverpool next look like the dabble in the uh in the transfer market barring a, a massive sea change now the club do often catch us off guard like the fabino one that we all heard about when we were out in kiev and uh, we're not expecting anything at all there's not even murmurings of any deals uh being done in in this january so uh do you have any predictions then on the amount of money that will leave uh jürgen klopp and michael edwards at the disposal for uh for, for summer 2019 yeah it's an interesting one um so last summer <clears throat> excuse me we um had a net spend i mean if we're talking about gross transfer fees net spend of um, in the region of 160 to 170 million, which was the biggest in the Premier League by some distance. I don't expect us to um, have a net spend of quite that amount because I think that the way that the squad is shaping up at this stage, um, the club will very much be looking at um, making fewer additions to the group rather than to be making significant changes. So even though we are expecting to see quite a number of departures, I think the way the club are looking is that several of those positions are to be filled by um, players coming through the academy ranks. So, for example, we will see, um, in all likelihood, Origi and Sturridge move on. However, um, the club may look to... Uh, well, we know that they were looking to re-embruce to fill one of those two positions and then may look to recruit another player that can play both as a forward and as one of the wide uh, players um, so they can be rotated with um, our magnificent front three. Um, but in terms of money, um, I, I think that the funds will certainly be there, um, given obviously the profit that will be formally announced in early March and also um, the way that finances are shaping up for this season. So, you know, we can go out there and spend big on two or three players, um, but I, I would suspect that we won't look to achieve a, a net spend of what we had for summer of last year. So it could be 80 to £100 million, pounds, say. Um, but, you know, we, we do know, for example, that um, 
there are still several players that can be sold, even though some are coming to the end of their contracts. There are others that um, will move on for a fee. And one of those is already guaranteed in Danny Ings, who um, will make his move to Southampton permanent, and that will bring in £20 million. And given the wonderful job that uh, Michael Edwards achieved to uh, bring in £19 million for Dom Solanke, um, we can expect one or two more pleasant surprises in that regard uh, with a couple of other fringe periphery, maybe academy players moving on for handsome fees. So what that means is that, um, you know, there'll be a decent amount of money coming in in terms of player sales, um, but that can be supplemented by, um, you know, some decent revenue and, um, you know, actual profit, um, not only from this current season, but from the season just gone. Um, so financially, we should be in a really good position um, to go out and bring in the players that um, I'm sure Edwards and Klopp are looking at right at this moment in time. Yeah, if not already speaking to and uh, getting close to crossing the T's and dotting the I's, who knows? Uh, it's, a, it's a strange world with lots of uh, covert stuff going on, that transfer, uh, all this transfer shenanigans. So uh, excellent, Mo. That's been a brilliant uh 50 minutes or so that we've done there on uh, on Liverpool's current financial position and it's uh, very exciting to see the club doing as well off the field in that respect as they do seem to be doing on it just now so I'm sure that's pleasing you as well what more can uh, our subscribers uh, expect from you uh, coming soon on Money Talks then? So Daniel G who we've had on um, this podcast um, a couple of times, good friend of uh, the pod, um, he will be back next month in February um, to talk about his book that is to be released um, in a couple of days as we record this. So on the 25th of January, I believe, is when he will be releasing his book, um, giving the inside perspective on transfer deals. Um, It's called Done Deal. It can be found um, at all good book retailers online and um, elsewhere. Um, So really looking forward to discussing the book with him. And um, there's another book that's come out about um, the inner workings of transfers. Um, and uh, the author of that book is also an individual that I'm looking to uh, get onto Money Talks um, in February as well. So I'm just um, in the early stages of that book. So as soon as I've concluded it, all being well, uh, we'll get the author on. And um, those two pods will give us a really fascinating insight into um, what is an area that is still largely misunderstood. Um, you know, there's, there's what we hear on you know, Sky Sports News and radio stations and um, online and in newspapers. And then there's the real story. And so ho- hopefully we can bring um, the actual business of transfer activity um, to our subscribers through those two pods uh, during February. And then, of course, um, you know, the highlight of my year as a Liverpool fan, the release of the account. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh man, it's a sad world when that's the highlight of your year, mate. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, you know it, it, it's it's good. It'll be good to see official confirmation that uh, you know we will. You know we're in such good financial health, and uh, obviously, as soon as those figures are officially announced, then uh, we'll get together again for another uh, pod just to. Um, look at over those figures so um yeah we've, i can we've sense got some... the, i can sense the excitement in your voice as you mentioned that Mike. i can just i can just imagine you sitting there all, all glee waiting for these figures to be dropped on that day and i'll uh i'll be just sitting there in one minute i'll get this message that says right are we ready to do a podcast <laughs> 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 the difference in, in in opinions over such things uh obviously a nice plug there for daniel g's new book i'm looking forward to that the forwards by gianluca viali and that one it's one that's been on my list i pre-ordered it which you can do on on amazon and probably other outlets as well uh, there's a kindle edition and the uh, and the hardback uh, both come out on the 24th of january so i'm like mo i've been looking forward to getting my hands on a copy of that i just hope beyond hope that they do do an audio book for it at some point because that's the way i seem to consume my literature these days just as a as a sort of podcast podcast method uh, of listening to uh, to books so hopefully that is in the pipeline as well anything else or is that us um no that's pretty much it so um yeah looking forward to getting those pods out over the coming weeks and um yeah the bottom line is certainly from a financial point of view plenty to be optimistic about where the football club is concerned so you know the, the good news just keeps on coming 
Well, there you have it, folks, from the, from the man in the know when it comes to Liverpool's finances. Uh, a quite excellent appraisal of the current situation there from the one and only Mo Chatra. Thank you, Mo. Thank you very much, Eddie. So there we have it, folks. That was Mo Chatra, our resident expert on Liverpool FC finances, with a pod that was recorded a couple of weeks ago uh, for AI Pro, and uh, we had that reaction, and we just thought it was really worthwhile putting it out today, seeing as the club have announced these uh, these profits today ahead of uh, the company's house announcement, which we expect next week. So that's just a taste of some of the stuff that you can uh, you can get over on AI Pro. Uh, Feel free to dabble a bit further. It's anfieldindex.com forward slash join where you can get a seven day free trial of Anfield Index Pro and the sort of uh, podcast that we have over there. It's around 30 a month, all with experts. Uh, there's Jan Molby, there's Paul Dalgleish, there's Kenny Dalgleish, there's, uh, there's fan media, there's journalists, there's all sorts of stuff that you can get involved with. It really is worth your while. And if you don't want to continue after the seven days, there's no obligation whatsoever to do so. So uh, so there's nothing to lose. Anfieldindex.com forward slash join. And the other thing that I should tell you about is our, our Discord community. It will really... Uh, really enhance your fandom, if you like, of uh, Liverpool Football Club, a, a brilliant thriving community with loads of it, really good views. There's, there is subscriber-only uh, elements to it, but anyone can join our Discord community and share in some of the chat there. It's anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord. That's D-I-S-C-O-R-D. And uh, there's also the benefit of being able to enjoy uh, some live podcasting on there as well. So you can get to listen to some of the shows as they're recorded, which is a, a great new innovation that gags and the team have, uh, have put together there over on AI Pro. So this has been your off the wall show. Uh, we'll hopefully be back with a bit more of this in the future. Uh, just little dabbles into uh, what goes on over at AI Pro. So until next time, up the race. Network.